but the real money was not in quarters. <laughs> I mean, uh, that that's a long tradition. That's where the Polybius myth started. Right, yeah. Because oh, man. Because the arcades in it's... Portland were getting raided for illegal gambling, and also mm-hmm. a lot of them were in debt to the mafia, so machines yep. being removed wasn't the government taking them. It was members from the mafia coming to claim <laughs> right. their insurance back. <laughs> and thus, a myth was born. Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's conversation with Starshine. Today, we talk about the inspiration behind making TTRPG systems, game jams, deep-fried bubblegum, food challenges, and so much more. If you want to hear a bonus episode with Starshine after the main episode's over, or if you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, consider making a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every week that range in length from 15 minutes to full-length bonus episodes, as well as getting access to the entire catalog of previous bonus content. That's four additional episodes a month for only $5. So, if you enjoy our conversation today, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners to help keep this podcast ad-free. Now let's get on with the conversation. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. <laughs> and as I said in the intro, I am joined today by the wonderful Starshine, and uh, they are at Starshine's Crib on Twitter. So thank you so much for joining us, Star. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, for the uninitiated, uh, I know that you dabble in a few different uh, uh, pots and pans of various things in the TTRPG space. But for those that may not be as aware, uh, who are you and what do you do? Uh, yeah, I have my finger in many pies. Probably more pies than fingers at this point. Uh, I create <laughs> D&D content, original TTRPGs. I'm also a writer, an artist, occasional musician, general dog's body. I do too many things is the basic answer to this. But yeah, in TTRPGs, I mostly focus on D&D content and original games. And uh, so I'm I'm really interested. I kind of want to jump right off the bat to original games. So please give me, expouse upon that a bit. Well, I just, I like making new things. Um, D&D's 5e, it's fun, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I like experimenting with different things. And after a while, I got kind of fed up of working other people's systems. I thought, why not make my own things? And it's always the thing of being, I'm kind of a person who does a lot of DMing and never being able to find the game that would tell the story I wanted. Just like, why not just make my own? And the rest, they say, is confusing, horrible history. <laughs> so is that more on the like homebrew story content using the 5e system, or are you building your own systems? No, that's totally original systems most of the time. I do stuff. There's other indie systems I've worked with, including Wretched and Alone and a couple of others, but most of the time now I'm building my own systems from scratch. Okay. And what are some of the things that... um drive you to work on your own system like are there specific pieces uh within D or 5e itself specifically that that itch you a certain way that just kind of go man I, I need to make this my own not really it's always just me having ideas and then or having uh, when i make games i come from sort of usually one of two ways it's either wanting to tell a specific story or seeing something and going that would be an interesting mechanic so, for instance, I have a game called I Want to Play a Game, but I Can't Find My D1, which was literally me going, how would you make a game if you only had a one-sided dice? Because a one-sided dice is a ball. Right. And that was me sort of thinking, how would that even be physically possible? And then building a whole system around that concept. Okay. okay. And then sometimes to think of, like, this is a story or something, a genre or something I want to do, and then building the game around a concept, which is uh, what my most recent couple have been. Okay. And uh, do you find yourself... So I have I've have a, oh, I guess, touch-and-go history with, with game design and, and making my own systems or just kind of fiddling about with... I have a, a, a pile of... I think one of the best purchases I ever made was like one of those 20-in-1 board game kits or something that has like chess and checkers and dice and shoots and ladders and whatever all the cards and poker and just all a bunch of cardboard tokens and some dice and a bunch of little plastic bits. And I, I love just kind of pulling it all out or I grab a handful of things and just be like, what can I make with this stuff? 
And so I I kind of wonder like where as a like as somebody that also is out here, you know, building custom RPG pieces, you did talk about the D1, which I think is really fun. And I think that that gives me a lot of like marble machine vibes. Um, but what other what other types of things inspire you to make a, an RPG? I'm inspired by everything. Um, I think there's sort of it's a personal bugbear of mine. I think Michelangelo ruined the art world with his whole I saw the creature in the marble and set it free. Right. I hate that quote. I think it has this idea that, oh, inspiration is like Calliope flies down and grabs you. It's right. a case of sort of being open to it. So I just have a document that sits on my sort of laptop and it's just things that pop into my head. Sometimes it is stupid phrases that I just randomly riff on. Sometimes it's something that a friend says and they grab me. Is it? Or sometimes I watch something and go, I want a game that does sort of invokes this feeling. And then I work back from there. I always have two or three things on the go, which helps with that. So okay. I can come from it from anywhere, and it just it depends on my mood on the sort of my mood on the day and my mood at the time. And as with most things, what you sort of see the end product, I probably put out only half of the things I make because right. sometimes you'll get to a point and go, you know what, not a fan of this, so it goes in the little exile folder. Yeah. There was some that five years later, cool... I go back. A couple of interesting pieces, but the rest of it from there is kind of yeah. I've I've got I've reached that point many times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Best tip you can ever give anyone in any creative field is never delete anything. Make a hidden yep. folder if you need to and put it in there. Have like your little your little exile. Treat it like Napoleon. Yep. Ship it off. Uh, but well, don't the delete same, it. Yeah, the same for any bit of a D and D campaign. If your if your players walk past the really cool room in the dungeon, that's a Matt Colville tip. That's like. There's a there's a goblin in a bone pile that has lore and treasure and the players just rush right past that room and never go to it. Like that doesn't mean that you should rip up that room and that NPC and that trap or whatever. Just it didn't exist in that cave as far as the players know. And you pull it out and you put it in the next one. Like oh, yeah. it's, it's you can reuse pieces that don't, you know, even, the, 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 even across was, uh, concepts as well like um i do a lot of sort of writing and sometimes old D ideas become story ideas like uh, for yeah. recently the sort of antagonist of that story is something i had for a DD campaign that never happened exactly. so she's now in this thing and that's i've had story ideas where I was like i've never finished them and then they end up in D, &D and mm -hmm. it's a big circle the circle of recycling <laughs> right well and and likewise i've had characters that only made it to level two or three that I really wanted to tell their story. So they became short stories. I wrote, yeah. you know, 15, 20 pages about this character, not at level two, but at level 15. And, you know, and, and their experiences as they became a hero. So um, do you partake in any, like, what's the, I guess, the time scale on your average game creation? Are you doing any sorts of, like, game jams? Or are you mostly investing kind of more long stream? It depends on the game itself. Um, obviously, certain games have longer build-ups than others. I do a lot of game jams. I really enjoy game jams just just because I find I think they're fun and it's a nice thing because other people are involved and you get to share in this experience, see how other people took an idea. So a lot of my early stuff was game jams because they offer a nice structure. And I think especially format jams, when you get stuff like the bookmark jam or the business card jam, they're really good for newer uh, developers starting off because it does even the playing field a little bit. Because So you're not going to like, obviously you can't compare yourself to D&D because that's 500 people right. with 10 years and 9 million. Business card means everyone's, it doesn't matter if you have a team of 25 artists, you've all only got that size. Mm -hmm. So it kind of helps you like sort of, feel the game a lot more right but no some of my games take a couple of weeks some of them take a couple of months some of them take over a year it just it depends on what i want to do with them and sort of what i think needed around them uh, the last game i made as we're recording this took about two weeks but that itself came from an idea i had probably about four years ago at this point right um but then the game before that took about two and a half months and it was an idea I was fiddling with on and off again. And I have had one now in development for probably about six months, but that's 
much more complicated. So right. let things take their natural length. And then if stuff takes longer, it takes longer. But if it works, it works. I also think that there's a, a real like because I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist and I feel like game jams really helped me understand the power of restrictions where having uh, three days and a deck of cards, like three days, a deck of cards and a Sharpie. You can yeah. write whatever you want on the cards, change them however you want, but you have to have, you only start with 52 cards and like a Joker or something like that and a Sharpie and three days to make a, a new game. And I think that because I couldn't reach out, I couldn't feature creep it, right? I couldn't add one or two more cards just to make it work. Through, and I couldn't make a board game to go with it or something. I had to use what I had and and find a way to make it interesting. And I think that that's, I can be, I found out that I could be a lot more creative with those kinds of restrictions put on me than I could if I had six months. I would never get there when the core of the, the core gameplay loop I could do in three days. I think it's a good example of decision paralysis. Yeah. Humans are, humans are terrible at big concepts. We're not designed for them. So if you say, do like make a thing, people just lock right up because it's, it's suddenly it's everything. It's anything you can dream on, anything you haven't dreamed of yet. Whereas uh, very good jams give you this sort of framework that it's like, here's your limits. Here's your time scale. It, it immediately takes off hundreds of millions of choices and focuses right. and you sometimes in on possible. Even even the the uh, a few words to pick from that your game has to relate to or a color or something like that. And something very vague, you know, like an idea or a sensation at maybe just the word sensation is you know and so whatever that means to you but it it if it start it, it it's interesting how creative that can make me when on the outside it's it is really restrictive it is really constrained and yet you every single game idea that gets submitted to a jam is totally different i, like, I, had, <laughs> I had that recently i was taking part in the storytelling collectives month of poetry thing and they were one word prompts, but everyone was going them for them in totally different ways. And I was often getting a bit, by the end, I was getting far too idiosyncratic with my word usage, I'll admit. But there were some of them where it's like, just a word immediately hit me with a concept. And then you show someone else and it makes no sense to them. But at the time, for me, the one that did that most was dark. Uh, I, a lot of people very differently. But the second I saw that, I was like, I'm so annoyed by all my potatoes going rotten recently. Because I don't know why all the players I brought are awful, and for me, dark was just like, oh, trying to keep potatoes dark so they don't go off. <laughs> and there's, there's people talking about shadows and evil, and there's me. They're like, right. to me, dark right now means potatoes. And wine I'm cellar. Annoyed. I need a wine cellar where I keep my potatoes and my wine <laughs> and brick up my enemies. That's right. <laughs> so there's got to be one skeleton in there somewhere. That doesn't know. get past planning permission these days. <laughs> <laughs> and hit tombment area. <laughs> so um, you've, you know, made stuff both independent and and some some 5e content and things like that as well. Um, did you get your start in 5e or how far back do you and TTRPGs uh... go? So I started doing TGWG by LARPing whilst in university. Okay, yeah. I'm not entirely sure where I got my start. This is because my memory is awful. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, we were doing sort of 5e, 3.5, and Airship Pirate, which I've had a lovely thing of re rediscovering that game. It's as generic as I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned it a while ago on Twitter, and someone was like, oh, this game. So like, yes, I found it again, and I've actually got a copy on the way, so I'm excited to reread oh, nice. that. But that was... It was laughing, and that was the point. There wasn't really sort of game stores where I were. There was like a bookstore that might have had two games if you were lucky on the right time of the month. So all my games then were just someone who had the stuff was like, "Do you want to do this?" Sure. I was like, it didn't matter what it was because there wasn't right. the options. I mean, that's uh, how I was introduced to Carcassonne. It was oh yeah, somebody is somebody is like. Here's a bag of things. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. They're like, it's fine. You'll get used to it. Just start, just start pulling tiles out. I'm like, are we, what are we doing? It's like, it's a game. We're, we're playing now. 
Like we're already, there's already tiles on the board. We're just going. I'm like, I, I, I did not approach you to say, Hey, do I want to play a game? You just dropped a bag on me and said, this is what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah. And that's the best way to get into things sometimes. And I, right. Yeah. <laughs> it introvert having uh, extroverted friends helps out. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed the laughing elements of it. I had a lot of fun with them. And then obviously it's like sort of moved to stuff. I had a chance to actually buy books. I now live in a city where we have three game stores on last count. Hey, yeah. That's not bad. <laughs> I say that even now, you, like it's amazing in like the last, sort of 10 years how bookstores have changed in what they mm-hmm. sell because the books on me is great i can get D pathfinder yeah. books and every obscure comic my heart desires it's amazing right terrible yeah. for and, my income but oh yeah roughly. like I, on the one hand i miss things like this is going to date me a little bit but like walden books was great um or border borders is still no no, Borders still isn't around. They're gone. Um, Barnes and Noble is pretty much all that's left as far as the big box ones go. <laughs> but but no, even even Barnes and Noble carries a lot of uh, not necessarily the really obscure stuff, but p- definitely plenty of TTRPGs, Pathfinder, D&D uh, and quite a few board games and a lot of a lot of the more like not Target and Walmart you know, not Uno and whatnot, but more of the kind of niche gaming, you know, scenes. So I, I really appreciate that that like I love my brick and mortar stores like that have gaming tables set up and and miniatures abound and, and dice everywhere. But I do appreciate the fact that that the even the big box game stores are, you know, it's it's, it's nice of people to have access to those. Right. Yeah, I, I love I love board game stores, but so I can't help be like, yeah, this is great for people, like I said, like me growing up who never had that chance like my town had a warhammer store for about three months and then it closed because it just wasn't the interest and it's surprisingly hard to keep uh it's kind of like pool the same thing happens around here anyway with pool halls like you would think because it's a bar that like that means that they make a lot of money and they stay open but the pool tables and the space required for them makes rent really Uh, expensive i also also guess there's probably a lot of maintenance you don't think about with pool tables Yeah, they get scratched, especially drunk, drunk people oh, and pool yeah. tables. <laughs> the, pool, the pool hall near me is massive, but exceedingly old. And I think I think the only reason it's still there is I presume it's grandfathered into its old rent. Right. <laughs> like, you a, can't raise the rent. I've got a 20 year contract. <laughs> there was a darts cafe near me for a while, which I think might have been a front, actually, because I went there with a friend. We went in. I, I really like darts. Yeah, we went in opened the door, everything was covered in tarps, there was no dartboard, and there were five burly men sat around a table, <laughs> like a folding table. They turned, looked at us, and were like, you know what? No darts maybe, today. Yeah, maybe maybe darts some other time. I think there's a place <laughs> up the street that plays darts. <laughs> the place closed like two months after. It there was... Like, um, opened and shut immediately. <laughs> there was an arcade, like like a full-blown like children's arcade. Now, this was this was like early 90s um around a place that i lived and uh the arcade was a front the arcade got shut down for for lascivious activities uh and i'm sure it made plenty of money off of quarters too but but the real money was not in quarters (laughs) i mean that that's a long tradition that's where the polybius myth started Right, yeah. Because oh man, the arcades in Portland were getting raided for illegal gambling, and also mm-hmm. a lot of them were in debt to the mafia. So machines yep. being removed wasn't the government taking them; it was members from the mafia coming to claim right. back. <laughs> and thus, a myth was born. Right, man. I, there's very few people that I know are aware of the Polybius myth. There is a wonderful documentary, or it's short documentary. It's like a 45 minute YouTube video uh on on polybius by oh man his name's escaping ahoy? me now and i'm not gonna google it yeah yeah ahoy ahoy does a great that's the, the probably the best polybius video. it's been on my mind for a while because i'm actually working on a project involving old arcades so i've been oh, looking nice. back. uh that's the one that mentioned cube quest if i recall mm-hmm. as well cube quest is uh do you look at that and you go no wonder kids are having nightmares <laughs> it freaks me out a little bit right <laughs> Like it uh-huh. feels something dystopian. Like you've never seen Cube. Right. Quest well, and this it, was like '87, and it's this weird booming voice, and ooh. It and it also, I think that's one of those like a rare place where, again, kind of speak kind of back to constraints. Like the things that they did in '80s technology and gaming before gaming had 
really any sort of modality to it, any sort of common knowledge about how any of these things could or should work. It was very Wild Westy, and you would have some really strange things, low graphics, weird audio, you know, and, and merge all of that together, and it yet still had this huge creative vibe to it. So, Oh, yeah, and old, 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 old arcade machines are uh, so hard to repair now because there was no standardization. So right. everything's falling apart. Everything's using parts you can't replace, and... A lot of the chips were one-offs and odd-sized capacitors and things that, yeah, my, maybe a I, vacuum tube in there. One of my favorite old arcade stories I've come across is that there was a punching game where you had to like punch a bag and it would respond based on how hard you punched. There was a big design flaw in there in which to make the lever work, the lever had to be made of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And as the machine wasn't physically tested, if you punched it hard enough, you would break your knuckle. Oh, it was Lord. very quickly recalled because <laughs> just no one had there was no testing and no one had considered right. that oh we had to make the bar thicker for the mechanism to work. <laughs> no one thought oh the padding won't be enough. Right. So I think like four people had reported just breaking like, their knuckles oh, and their foot. Lord. Just because. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's like amazing. A... Terrible burpees. I well, I'm sure like you'd probably still find a lot of them in uh like Car- the, the carnivals seem to be that way like you, you go to like a i don't know around here like a movie theater or something where they have like any of the like terminator arcade games that have like the gun oh yeah and it's so huge and it's got like a two inch iron rod connecting it to the the base you can't remove it it's welded together there's no it's all smooth edges there's nothing to cut yourself or scrape yourself on and then like the carnival is like Here's like six pocket knives. Try to hit that dartboard over there. Like, <laughs> pop a balloon with them. Oh, there's a reason most sort of people who work those stores all have scars on their arms. Right. I've never met, I know a few people who've worked that industry and all of them have a scar with a story. Yes. <laughs> but that's just it. Like that's, I think that for me makes me think of, because I've talked before on the podcast about like gold mines for characters and anybody that's worked in the back of the house of a kitchen or just in a restaurant for more than a, a month, like no one that works in a restaurant is is quote unquote normal. And all of them are these extreme hyperbolistic personalities that you all of them come out of a comic book. They're all a little bent weird. And I think that that carnival workers tend to be kind of on that same vein where it's like that is a gold mine for ideas for uh, npcs for villains for heroes for anything is this these really extreme incredibly unique people and stories oh yeah and you can find inspiration anywhere for all sorts of fun things and you can also rip things off it's true true a lot of fun filing serial numbers off things (laughs) um do you find yourself taking um real life events and twisting them into your your fantasy because i know you you mentioned there's a lot of things that that get brought into your games and your stories but do you find yourself kind of retelling a big fish version of a maybe a childhood tale uh, not that often. I don't, I don't have many uh, childhood stories that are either interesting enough or publicly acceptable enough to be telling. Some bits have filtered through, but um, yeah, I rarely sort of hide my personal history and things, though. You can definitely uh, tell, I think, from a lot of my stuff what sort of things influenced me when I was growing up. There's a lot of recurring motifs, <laughs> or Fair. as my friend would call it, Freudian notifications. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very fair. Um, so it uh, it wouldn't be um, Dungeons and Ditters if we didn't focus a little bit on food. And I'm going to start off uh, kind of circling back to the topic we were just at. And I'm going to ask, uh, ask a little bit of a different question and just jump into, do you have a favorite food that is only good when you eat it at a carnival? Oh, or like a fair, like your your favorite fair food. Go to many carnivals. I, I grew up in the UK, and we had a mop fair, which is very different from the American carnival because it was all about right. buying and selling household servants. Mm-hmm. The mop fair is a 
bizarre piece of British history if you ever want to get really into the <laughs> do you have a do you have a favorite food from there is there there's no, snack the food there? Was no. disgusting it was always hot dogs and it was always like you eat a hot dog there you'll be dead by morning it's the <laughs> ring of food right. and I remember, there's always all, all the American state pets have that weird like deep fried beer and all that kind yeah. of stuff <laughs> I, remember, I saw I saw there was a video age ago I saw that I loved they got a chef to like a five stars it was a bit of a snooty git let's be honest to go around testing these and there was i think it was like deep fried um bubble gum and he got really upset by it because he's like i like this and that really upsets me (laughs) he's like it's just sugar but it's good and i hate (laughs) myself for admitting this i I ate fair food as well i'm trying to think of like really good fair food now because right I do like circus peanuts, which apparently is a controversial yeah. opinion. Um, no, I don't like them. So, are we talking like roasted actual no, no, peanut like the or the gummy? Yeah, okay, okay, I, yeah, that I, is controversial. <laughs> I know people are going to hate, but actually, I quite like them. See, actually, a big thing you see in British affairs is the traditional Cornish pasty, which I'm, I do like a good pasty, yeah. and I, I adore them because of the uh, tradition behind them. They're just this weird. If you're not familiar, uh, the Cornish pasty has two half our tradition; it doesn't anymore. Used to have two halves, jam on the one side, meat on the other, because it was popular yes. with tin miners. So it could be a whole meal that you could wrap right. up in a bit of paper, put in your pocket, and go down. Also led to the uh, myth that they used to that the edges so they could hold it. It's actually oh, untrue. Yeah. It's not actually yeah. a thing. It was just to sandwich them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, because uh, tin miners still hold things right. to get. But uh, they also they can be cooked on shovels as well. Was the old trick? Hmm. You could heat a shovel over a. Cold oh, okay, yeah. Stick a pasty on it, and it would heat through within sort of twenty minutes. Huh, that's a pretty good way to do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that. Go... Yeah, Ooh. if I'm ever in, stuck in a mine uh, with a with an uncooked pasty. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, that's a reality show coming up, right? <laughs> stuck in a mine. I'm not. I'm not going to say that there's not like a certain curiosity that I have for that kind <laughs> of thing. Like, I I love like kind of going camping and roughing it but trying to be as like bougie as i can like i want to i don't want to pack like a giant backpack full of everything that i would need i want to do it with as few materials and ingredients as i can but then how how good can i cook with like four ingredients and a little alcohol stove Lots of alcohol. Uh, I, I know i love backpacking i so said i've done a few quite long trips including the john Muir trail in the u.s and um Eating on that's always a bit of an awkward one. Lots of peanut butter. Like just pure peanut butter. Yeah, chunks uh, of it because... Maybe a tortilla if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but you won't be lucky. You'll just be you'll just be sat on a rainy mountain shoveling peanut butter into your mouth and going, why did I agree to this trip? <laughs> it sounded so fun at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably one of my most disgusting food stories and this is awful is when we were doing the john Muir trail there is a sort of camp resupply spot i think it's don't know where it is i can't remember the location i was delirious by this point for my altitude sickness but they had a restaurant there and the waitress basically was like yeah this is probably the way the restaurant that makes the most people sick in the world because you've spent by that point two weeks on ration food so you go up and then you're gonna you overeat there because you you just it's food and then of course your body's now goes straight to shock, you throw it all back up. And she's like, if this is probably the place that makes people the most sick in the world, and it's not because our food is bad, it's because you just go food. You're not gonna yeah, powder. you're not gonna process it. We should yeah. just serve spoonfuls of peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> and then get killed by a load of angry backpackers. <laughs> oh yeah, it's kind of weird that the American I don't is there a reason why the American carnival scene became like this weird deep fried hellscape? I'm sure there is. I mean, I there's a lot of like, so I, I've got to say like my two are like a really good, I there's no such thing as a good funnel cake out. Like there's an okay funnel cake outside of a carnival, but something about like 40 year old grease that's never been changed <laughs> just makes a funnel cake delicious. It sounds like the start of a Joni Mitchell song. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and honestly cotton candy oh i should, i forgot actually i do really like cotton candy i just totally yeah. popped down my um brain. 
and and that's something you know it doesn't have to be a fair but i would consider that a fair food, oh pa- you know, like. package cotton candy is awful like the stuff you can buy, <laughs> it's just like a bin compressor it's just a brick it's just a it's... solid block of sugar yeah those are really um but no, I, as far as like the history, I, I actually don't know the history very well. I'm I sure in the modern world, it's mostly because stupid things get attention and you want more attention. So then it's yeah, become so this never ending arms race. The the fried ice cream then becomes, you know, fried Snickers becomes we uh, fried a living turkey. <laughs> like... <laughs> we fried the concept of time. <laughs> Oh, the uh, the Friday Mars bar was a Scottish invention. Because yeah, trust the Scots. Uh, there we go. <laughs> but how do we top haggis? Let's throw a Mars bar in a fry. Yes, <laughs> oh, I went to the place where that was invented, and it's it's an experience. <laughs> I'm not gonna say if it was good or bad. But it wasn't That's fair. Good. That's fair. I've had a few of those. It was it it makes for our story. I don't even yeah. know if it's a good story, but it's it's a thing that happened. <laughs> it's definitely one of those foods where you eat it and you go, this is killing me. Mm, yeah. But not quick enough to make me stop. <laughs> I, uh, I'm trying to think like where, like, because I've, I've had some fatty, greasy, terrible food that I really probably, probably did take years off of my life. But of the, like... I probably don't remember much of it because I had to be at a certain state of mind to be willing to subject myself to that. And those are not states of mind that I have a lot of memory of. So <laughs> I don't blame you. Very late nights. Oh, <laughs> Lots of Jägermeister. <laughs> the best way to hurt yourself. That's right. Damn. It is not at all. It is a terrible way to hurt yourself, but we did it anyway. Oh, yeah. No, I, I then. It's amazing me what, what they come up with for those things because you they must spend. I want to be in the meetings. What I feel with those, like I would love mm. someone. To just I don't do, like, think it's a podcast or a series where you just follow these people making these things. They I give don't me kind think of that it's like a, vibes. Like I, not like a committee of. It's not like a board meeting with a bunch of CEOs that are like <laughs> we should fry a Mars bar. I much more think. That it's the people that are like me who don't remember what they're saying at a time walking into a Waffle House at three o'clock in the morning going like, I want cheese on the waffle and then it deep fried. There's deep. I want you to batter a waffle. I know it's made of batter, but I want the batter battered. This is a bigger waffle. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a lot. of. If Taco Bell can make 400 menu items out of six ingredients. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the Sesame Street skits with Grover as a waiter where he's antagonizing me. That reminds me of that, where he was like, every time the waffle comes back, he's like, this is just a bigger waffle. Go and batter it. And it's just growing and growing. <laughs> yeah. So like it's like a, coming through the door like it has a hat coming around a, the style. Six fried uh, waffle, waffle fried, six, six, six fried waffle. You get six, <laughs> six dips. <laughs> oh, but oh, I'm pretty a... sure that that's, and then some cook in the back has to make this poor drunken sap, this random concoction. And they're like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try a bite. And then it ends up being not bad. And they're Basically like, how I, penicillin was invented. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we could charge other drunk imbeciles to purchase this, this monstrosity. We'll just make the six fried waffle, the meal challenge. Cause who is going to be able to eat a waffle the size oh. of like, a, a, a basketball. Are <laughs> oh, those you see those meal challenge things? And gosh, I don't understand how those people do it. I it, don't either. I mean, I can put some food down. I am not. I'm not a very big fellow, but I can eat. I I worked as a chef, and because I was not a big fellow, I was picked on and had my food stolen in school. So I learned to eat fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and had I, your food stolen while being a chef there for a brief moment. I mean, a little bit, yeah, that like happens too. Because I was a situation. I'm also a small chef. I'm not. I'm not a very big human. <laughs> and a lot of there are a lot of chefs that are have far more tattoos and muscle than I do. So you know, you get five <laughs> minutes to eat, and you fry yourself a chicken tender, and somebody comes by and snatches your chicken tender out of the fryer, out of the oil. Because cooks just have like inch wide calluses so they could just fry their hand a little bit. Nobody, like snatch up your chicken tender 
and you're like that's it you're done that was your that was your five minute break for food and somebody just literally grabbed it out of the boiling oil oh fried hand uh, yeah many the popular uh, certain texas barbecue restaurant i'm sure yeah you know it's right. half chicken finger half yeah. half human finger and, run by men know. who really like chainsaw <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah so so i can but even i can't fathom like monster burger as eight pounds of ground beef and six pounds of cheese fries like I don't know how more people don't die of them. I mean, it's like, the, there's that place in Las Vegas that is famous for it, and uh, uh, Hot Tech oh. Grill, I believe it's called. Yes, it is. Okay. I, I saw it when I went to. I saw it when I went, and the friend I was with, we looked at it for a brief moment, and went, "I know we both hate ourselves on the inside, but do we hate ourselves this much?" And the answer was no. So we didn't. I mean, also, like the line was massive. I could see. I could see like. I don't care if you put me on the wall of shame. I'm going to order the mega food thing, but then I'm going to have eight people eat it. Um, like, and we're not going to be on a time limit. Like we're going to tell you to go away with your time limit and your one person challenge. And instead the eight of us will eat. <laughs> I see. Cause, I, well, I, Cause man versus food was kind of the thing that kind of right. set that off. And I, I watched that show a couple of times. And I just sat there going, I, I'm not sure if this is masochism or like people like their own things. Get don't get me wrong. And uh, again, right. everyone like what I like. The world would be terrible because I like some utter rubbish. But I just look at that and just it's one of those things that my brain just cannot comprehend. Like why? <laughs> like what? What? I, I mean, it fascinates me. It's like what made you wake up this morning and go, "This is what I want to do today." Like, I'm going to eat this thing. Not just today, but what 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 does it take to wake up and be like, I'm gonna make a career out of this? <laughs> like, like that's a one in a billion right there. I, I don't know. Like, I, I now I'm just like, how long they film that over because that couldn't have been like sort of your average four week filming schedule. How so you'd be dead? Yeah, no, it couldn't. Like, ah, uh, I just I think my gallbladder just shuddered in like. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> you imagine being the cameraman on that show, though. You do not want to mess up one shot because you can't say, hey, can no, we just do that no, again? Just... Can we retake that? <laughs> redo everything. Oh, oh, man. Now that's that's quick way to it. That's a quick way oh, to get fired. It. Right. I mean, it's a, a resume generating event. An, R, an RGE is what one of my old bosses ah, used to call I them. Where we're, we're trying to avoid RGEs today. Right, guys? Like, <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to have to all go out and rebuild our resumes. Um, so I, I I don't know though. I think I've seen I've I've done constitution checks for like eating gross food in D and D, but I don't know that I've ever put forth a food challenge. Might no, might have to I, do that. That, that. That would be interesting. I so I rarely, uh, whenever I run games, I very rarely uh, do sort of food and. Like the the eating exhaustion rules, just because I presume characters are adults who don't don't need to. Be yeah, you're not starving. Eat. Yeah, you're just yeah, finding food along the way. You'll make like, it work. You're an adventurer. You're probably not going to need someone to poke you every ten seconds. Going, did you eat today? Oh well, yeah. Like, you're not going to get to the point of going, oh, I've got to eat and then just drop dead because that would just be really silly. <laughs> so I just tend to skip it from games because actually most of my groups here we have so many hours a week, so. Let's not spend that time encountering how, you know, Varg the Unkillable decides he needs to buy a burger very quickly. <laughs> well, I've done po I've done poison food and stuff like that. That's always right. that's always a fun one. Whenever you go to a dinner party and find that everything's been poisoned. I mean, I think that the stopping for a burger, it, it can be. Like it's again, like if it's every day or every few minutes, no, but as a if it if it's something is not done or something is infrequent enough then it becomes special mm -hmm. like if you uh, we had a burger joint in town actually that had the most delicious and way to like everything was soaked in butter like a goat's butter kind of very rich and everything was very fried burger and it was amazing and it came with cheese curds and it was glorious and but if you had it more than like once a month, 
Like if you had that burger every day, it would not be a special burger anymore. Mm. And and but if you have it once a month, you can like not eat breakfast and make a whole event out of it and make sure that you could you could take this this whole giant burger. But yeah, so I think that, you know, having a food insertion every here and there can oh. can kind of throw things off a little. Yeah. And especially in games. Like, I like, yeah, if players want to bring it in, that's fine. I'm just I was never a fan of the kind of here's some extra bookkeeping to do. Right. To make sure that your character has, you know, remembered to brush his hair this morning and has gone <laughs> to the toilet. So yeah. I think in the fiction you can presume that right. that's the same that, that happens in the background. In the same way that when watching a movie, you don't go, well, Captain Kirk hasn't uh, hasn't eaten for, for four scenes. He right. must be hungry. It's like, you presume he's doing <laughs> he that in the it transition. Yeah. There's, you know, in the console on the chair, there's some nuts. <laughs> throwing... A few crumbs and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Riker's licking oh. the floors for sustenance, that kind of thing. <laughs> While he hikes his leg too high over the back of a chair. Well, that's exhausting. Know. That's why he needs to lick the floor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. It, it, you know, you mentioned bookkeeping and that's like it. You can always kind of tell, or at least I can very quickly, how rules lawyery somebody's going to be if they check your weight in coin. Like, <laughs> like one, we're tracking coins to begin with. Like, that's just that's already a lot. And there's four kinds of them. Oh, we can't I... just have one. <laughs> But but now we need to know how much they weigh. <laughs> oh, when then that opens up, I I love that conversation because it opens up all sorts of fun, fun things with it because it's annoying to it in games when you sit there thinking about it, going, "Well, how dense is my character? Yeah, <laughs> what's my what's the density of muscle in this situation? Well, how do we work that out? Well, we need to know the atmospheric oxygen saturation, of course. <laughs> does, does this world have a similar atmospheric buildup? <laughs> what? Does, does it have a troposphere? Because that will affect things. What's the core made out of? <laughs> What's the mag- we need the magnetic field strength. Uh, you uh, know, a friend of mine overall has that where, planetary diameter. Like where somehow he had uh, a friend who was DMing him at the time. Uh, asked some question like that for I think just to just to be annoying because it was it was a friendly group, so everyone was kind right. of ripping each other. Um, so my friend, being my friend, did the math to work it out. And ended up proving that the world was flat. The only way to make the number work was if it was a flat world. Oh lord! <laughs> so then his character suddenly became like this flat Earth. Like, He's like, I, I proved it. The Earth is flat. I proved it. The math checks out. The planet is flat. The DM actually, in the very last session, actually had them go to the end of the world. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's to have them have the moment. Where he's like, I told you so. It's flat. That's like the Legolas spot check where to be able to to see as far as he could that that the horizon would his pupils would have to be giant and on stalks to be able to see over the curvature of the planet. So that they just kind of retcon it like, yeah, no, elves don't see the curvature of the world like like magic. Which, when you think about it would cause a lot of problems with your depth perception. Right. Like going down here, it'd just be constantly cartwheeling. <laughs> And that, that's why he's so successful because it, like orcs are like, do you hear that? And it's just this elf it's just rolling just down the Then again, they would never have to send their scouts out anywhere because as soon as like binoculars are invented, like you just go to the elven city and they just have like one big binocular and they can see to the back of their own head. And like just the universe itself, it becomes flat. <laughs> ah, the elf is it just the planet? Or do they see off to the edge? Like, do, do they see the back of their own head from the planet? Or do they see all the way through the universe? Oh, are there other planets in the talking setting? Right. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> now we have to write to his son. Like, yeah, right? Yes, sir. And how <laughs> the elves, you know, were able to identify life on other planets without I, ever having to I leave. Pity, I pity the person who deals with his mail. <laughs> it must <laughs> not be fun. Oh... <laughs> Criticism, well, criticism, anthrax, criticism. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, well, Star, I definitely always try to make sure that I hit uh, as many topics as my guest uh, would hoped to have hit uh, when, when they come on the show. So to do that, I always make sure that I carve off a little space at the end of the episode and give you some space to dedicate this time to you. So whether you want to advertise or shout out 
uh, call on certain people or bring up a topic that we haven't hit on or a snippet of wisdom, um, I'm going to hand the, the end of the show over here to you. Well, actually, I do have one thing I just want to bring up because it fascinates me, and that is bread law is the most brilliant thing in the world and everyone should read into the history of the laws of bread uh, because that is where we get bread stamping, which was a big thing because people, used, the Romans used to give grain to bakers and to make sure you didn't cheat on that, you had to stamp your bread, which led to the baker's dozen as we know it today, which right. is one of my favorite little facts. That's because, where they would, yeah. and, and the the cutting boards with the holes in them, yes. so when they were rolling out the dough, so they could some carve dough. off a little bit of dough into a hole. And, or mix yep. it with iron or sawdust. Basically, bakers had bakers have been like one of the most regulated professions in the world for years because of this stuff. And there are some, if you ever read some primary sources, there's some great stories of bakers being chased out of towns. Only to go to the next town to find that someone had already told that town and they get chased out of that town. Like you could, bakers were the most commonly exiled profession for a good chunk of history because they would do this stuff. Well, and, and, and yeah, no, go ahead, continue. No, feel free. Cause I, I was just going to say like, it's facts. also the, the biggest reason like preservatives came to play was because bread was it lasted like 10 hours it doesn't even last the whole day like you get lunch bread and dinner bread and and because it goes bad so fast that that yeah and that's half the reason why they're chased out is because if your bread goes bad then you don't make you're it that's your food for the day gone you know bread is like this if you ever want like a rabbit hole topic bread and like the rules surrounding it is just this amazing thing where it kind of it's basically tells you everything you know about food history in this one object. Well, and every culture has like a very unique take on bread. It's like a very universal thing, but also like, like bread and then it's follow up, which is beer, which is just liquid bread. Um, (laughs) But, but every culture has such a very eccentric take like there's there's not like a there's like a mother bread sort of situation and then everything from that anywhere you go in the world there's a type of bread but it's all unique because it's so old they've all mutated or or evolved that much over time yeah and when you basically now whenever you go to a supermarket you look at the bread aisle you're looking at thousands of years of applied history which touches on everything from science to economics to culture Bread is amazing, and it, yeah, it's a beautiful rabbit hole. But for shout-outs, um, I do want to shout-out to the artists I regularly use who don't get enough attention. And those are Mimlet Monster, who did the cover for one of my last games. I don't know how she did it. I believe Black Magic was involved because she turned my random collection of images into something that looks worryingly real. I think so, most art is is magic of some form. Probably yeah, so with blood I'm, sacrifices in there somewhere. I'm not getting on her wrong side. But she is uh, Mimo Monster on Twitter and Mimolette Monster on uh, Instagram. And the other artist I work with a lot is uh, Nikki Bamfi Nesbitt, who is a beautiful abstract painter who works with me quite a lot and puts up with my bullshit, which is, I mean, she's basically a saint, let's be, let's be honest. <laughs> and she is Nikki Abstracted on Instagram. And yeah, both of those artists, I just, they don't get enough love. And I love being able to work with them and being like, hey, here's these people. They do really good stuff. You should go and look at them. And I will keep promoting them. Basically, the promotion will continue until following numbers improve that yes that is well and i that's one of those things where uh i stress it in in my intro and outro but i don't think that many people really understand until you try to market a product how much it it does not unless you have 10 million dollars to throw at marketing uh no amount of twitter or instagram or facebook ads will get you anything and really but but one person saying like i really liked this i think you should check it out and no, really, I'm going to pull it up. Give me your phone. I'm pulling <laughs> them up now because don't just say, yeah, that sounds cool. Because you're going to say, yeah, that sounds cool. Six weeks running now and you still haven't listened to it or watched them or looked at it. So uh, give me your phone. I'm doing it now. Like that person, that person that does that will get a show, an artist, a YouTube channel, more followers than a thousand dollars of facebook ads I, I one of the biggest things you learn while sort of doing this whole freelancey weirdness is you have to sort of give up a bit of your shame and it, there's a lot of screaming into the void and you sort of have to get used to it yep. that was my big thing starting out it's like oh man i hate having to shout like look at this thing and it's like then after like a year it's like well i'm gonna keep screaming it and i don't care who hears at this point so yeah the screaming yeah. is a continual part i am the possum 
I look into yep. the world and I scream. <laughs> Stand on the mountaintop. Pathetic, I thought. And, and shout because no one else will do it for you. Yeah. I've uh, I've pulled up my own pod and I'm not like the I edit my show as well. So I listen to my own voice a lot. Oh, and there have still been times where I've pulled up my show in front of other people, which is like secondarily embarrassing because I'm not just willing to tell you like I'm not interesting enough to tell you how interesting it is. I'm going to listen to myself out of the thing that I've made in front of you. So oh. that I know you can hear it. <laughs> like, I've had that a few times with people, like friends playing games of mine I've made, and it's like it's like, oh, do you want to play? It's like, no, <laughs> no, right. I don't. I don't. I, I, I want to be it. in the room. I'll, I'll be in the I'll be in the bathroom for the next four hours. Exactly. Let me know when I can stop like sitting in the corner crying. Please don't. Please don't tell me it's good because I don't need to hear that because I know every flaw. There's a there's a typo. Uh, on, I on have the... sat there staring at this for 17 bloody mm-hmm. hours. <laughs> well, uh... yep. So, Star, uh, I appreciate you coming through so much. And we'll have links uh, to your favorite shouted out artists down in the description. And um, as well as uh, a few other tidbits and, and other links, of course, on Twitter at Starshine's Crib. And uh, there's some some links. There'll be a link for the, the card websites so that brings you your Instagram and everything else as well. So once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you for Starshine for joining me on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, consider clicking that star rating or dropping a review in your podcast application of choice to help boost the algorithm and get this show in front of the ears of more people. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes, and if you want to keep in touch, you will find that I'm most active on Twitter at AndDinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you're interested in supporting the show or just want access to the entire back catalog of exclusive bonus minisodes, like today's minisode, where Starshine comes back to talk about being a freelance creative and putting their work online, or if you just want to help keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.